We are live. I'm Seb 3.0, and today I'm speaking with Larry Engineer, which uh, a lot of people know in this space as uh, the developer of Delphi, La uh, Delphi Labs. Sorry, I had a little issue here. And today we're going to be speaking about Cosmos, uh, Cosmosm SDK and why he's building Cosmos SDK. Uh, it's an interesting project because it aims to be like an alternative to the uh, typical sort of like Go SDK. Uh, we'll be talking about some of the technical complexities of building this thing, um, the architecture, and also uh, I'm willing to find, I'm dying to find out why Larry thinks app chains don't need to be decentralized. Uh, before we get started, please make sure to subscribe, hit the notification bell and like button to get notified when we do new live streams every week. My guest, Larry Engineer, is coming up next, right here on The Interrupt. Hey, Larry. Hey. Hey, Seth. Thanks for joining me. Um, yeah, so thanks for doing this. And before we get started, uh, yeah, maybe uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. And because I know you, you've been working in the Cosmos space for a while, and like you were previously building uh, in the Terry ecosystem. So, you know, for those who don't know you, um, what have you been up to these last couple of years? And how did you come to become a developer at, uh, at Delphi? Yeah, so my day job is. A developer at Delphi, Delphi Labs. So we have a couple of different arms. We have a VC arm, we have a research arm, and the labs arm I'm in, uh, we, we build protocols, right? So it's my day job, and I contribute to a lending protocol called Mars. So Mars was initially launched on Terra, Terra Classic specifically back in spring this year. And it kind of it worked well. Uh, for, for a couple of months until it died together with Terra Classic. And so now we, we are re restarting this project and uh, hopefully launching soon on many Cosmos chains. So, um, yeah, I mean, today, like, I, I'd love to spend a lot of time talking about uh, Mars. We're going to do another episode probably in a couple of weeks with one of your colleagues uh, diving deeper into Mars. But just kind of a high level, like, what is the Mars protocol and What's the long-term vision here for this project? Right. So Mars is a lending protocol, meaning you can deposit assets into it and people can borrow them against their collaterals. So if you have been using Aave and Compound, it should be pretty familiar experience. But on top of that, we also have a new primitive called credit account, which basically means uh, when you deposit assets, uh, into the lending protocol, you retain control over them. You, you can borrow some uh, other assets against your deposit collateral, but you can still use all those borrowed assets and deposit collaterals in productive uses, such as put them in yield farms, et cetera. Um, I believe this gives a lot of more flexibility to users and uh, yeah, pretty bullish on this idea. Yeah, no, it's really cool. Like if you can use your collateral to do other things. I've also seen um, some lending protocols that are like kind of starting to to think about um, building and that leverage staked assets uh, for collateral. Is that something you guys would possibly also consider doing? Yeah, yeah, there's definitely something that uh, our credit account can, can enable. Cool. Um, so 
basically you started building this on on Terra before the Terra collapse. Um, what was it like building in that ecosystem? Like, I, I, you know, I, like I wasn't super plugged into like all the stuff that was going on there, but I know that like there was a lot of activity. Um, what was it like building there, and how did it feel to like have to transition into the Cosmos ecosystem? Was that pretty seamless for you, or uh, yeah, how, how did that feel? Yeah, it's very seamless because we, uh, because these different Cosmos chains, they all use the same uh, smart contract framework called Cosmosm, which we are going to talk a lot about in this episode. Um, so, so it's it's the same framework. It's a pretty smooth transition. Uh, the only difference I would say is that Terra and Secret Network are the two earliest adopters of Cosmosm, and by the time we were working on Terra, the, uh, the Cosmosm virtual machine is pretty different from what it is now. And yeah, so so that's why you, you see some some protocols who started on Terra a bit later are going to restart much faster than than we are able to do because they we built our protocol on a quite old code base and they, they entered later. So they, they built their things on earlier code, uh, newer code bases so they can transfer faster. That, that's a okay. phenomenon we see quite often in crypto. It's kind of interesting that latecomer usually have, have, have an advantage in a very fast moving kind of, uh, kind of field. Yeah, so you guys were building on an older code base, and so therefore there's a lot more like refactoring and catching up to do in order to be like compatible with yeah, the like, bases of Cosmosm. Yeah, adapting to a newer framework is one thing. Another thing is by the time when, when we were building Mars, the whole thing was so new, uh, nobody knew how to really properly write contracts, meaning nobody knew what's the best practices. Uh, and those things all had to be figured out during the time. So. Yeah, the, the Cosmosm um, space has been like really interesting to watch. Like, I think you know, like a year ago, there were very few people talking about Cosmosm. I think like very few Cosmosm developers, at least in the in the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, but since um, since the inception of Juno and you know, Cosmosm uh, being implemented on Cosmos chains, it feels like now it is becoming such a massive part of the cosmos narrative and more and more developers are turning to cosmosm and now we have cosmosm academy um why do you think cosmosm is so attractive as a platform for uh for builders yeah so i, I can talk about this on two sides for uh one in comparison to ethereum whose primary language is solidity Cosmosm, uh, the primary language for Cosmosm is Rust, which is a modern language compared to Solidity, which feels just pretty ancient. Uh, and Rust is probably one of the best modern languages. Uh, so when, when, when using Cosmosm, we can leverage all the, all the benefits from Rust, including uh, its package management, uh, its excellent compiler, all the ecosystem tools, so it, in my opinion, it's just a better better experience. And a, a, a good story we would like to tell is that, um, so Wasm contracts are actually pretty big. So if you write a contract in Solidity, you actually have a hard cap of 24 kilobytes 
So your contract cannot be too big. But for 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 Wasm, it's pretty usual for your contracts to be in a, a few hundred kilobytes. So it was pretty big, and that was kind of a little worry. But that at, at one point there was a Rust release, a, a new release of the Rust language, and that that come packaged with a, a an optimization that reduced all our contract size approximately by half. So like. We as smart contract developers, we did nothing. We just upgrade our Rust language, and our <laughs> contracts all reduce half in size. So, I, I would say it's it's a it's a benefit of working in in this stack. Like we, we, we get to enjoy all the upstream benefits from from Rust, from all the other people programming in Rust for all other purposes. We we get to enjoy all those benefits. Um, so that that's in comparison with Ethereum. Oh, I forgot to tell about all these security. Uh, all this, all the security design considerations put into Cosmosm. A lot of the co very common hacks, vulnerabilities in Solidity contracts simply don't exist in Cosmosm. Like you might know, there is a vulnerability called reentrancy. That that is what caused the the DAO hack back in the days. Uh, that vulnerability simply doesn't exist in Cosmosm. Like you you can't even code a reentrancy vulnerability even if you want to. It just, <laughs> the virtual machine doesn't allow that fundamentally. Um, and this is just one example. A Cosmosm, it's much fun to write. Um, it's much more secure. It, it's just a much a pleasure to work with. So mm. that's in comparison with Ethereum. I was about to say the comparison with Cosmos SDK, but. Yeah, please go ahead, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So. So the thing with Cosmos SDK is that it offers you very low level control of your application, which can be good in some cases, but in my opinion, bad in, in, more, case, in, in more situations. Uh, what, what do I mean by low level control? So you have to, to implement a very simple functionality, you have to write a lot of code. So let's say you just want to store a number on the blockchain. What, what do you have to do? Well, you have to define a transaction type for updating or storing that number. You have to define a query type for, for, for querying that, the value of that number. You have to define a command line interface command for manipulating that number. You have to define a gRPC endpoint. You have to define a REST endpoint. Um, and you have to hook up this thing with all the other modules in, in your blockchain. So it's a, just a lot of work for for implementing a very simple task. So I actually counted this. So storing a number in a contract is, is literally one liner in Solidity. Uh, it's maybe five, 600 lines in in a Go SDK. And, and let's say you want to, that, that's not the worst. The, the, the worst thing is if you want to upgrade your application, you need to change a few things. Every time you change in Solidity, you just change that one line, right? But in Go SDK, we are probably like 10, 20 different places you have to change in those five, 600 lines. So that's that's a very painful thing to do. And that means iterating new, new designs, uh, implementing new features in Go SDK is significantly uh, slower than if you are using other stack stacks. 
Yeah, I'd like to come back maybe just, I, I mean, I do, I do want to address the complexity of, you know, building the Go modules and kind of the trade-offs of using Cos Cosmosm versus uh, Go modules. But coming back to what you were saying about, you know, Rust and, and, um, and Wasm as a, as, a, as a sort of development environment, you know, like early on in the days of Ethereum, there was some talk of uh, Ethereum implementing uh, Cosmosm uh, sorry, uh, Wasm-based contracts um, in replacement for Solidity. Uh, of course, like the Polkadot team, I think Substrate uses uh, Wasm. W why do you think that Wasm, um, this WebAssembly um, paradigm, is so interesting for blockchains generally? Like, even though Ethereum hasn't implemented it, you know, there was some interest there. Like, other blockchains are using Wasm. Why, why do you think that is? Well, Wasm is, is probably the single most optimized virtual machine out there. So virtual machines, meaning like you have, let's say you have your physical CPU and that CPU has an instruction set. So when you write a language, it compiles to binary instructions for that instruction set. A virtual machine is a container that runs on top of that, that has, it, that has its own instruction set. And you, when, you, when you write your program, it compiles to binary instructions for that instruction set. And when you run in that container, it needs to be translated to your CPU instruction set and run there. So that usually is overhead because you have to like have a translation step. So VM usually comes with overhead. That, that's the thing. Uh, Cosm Wasm is, no, I mean, Wasm, Wasm is probably the most optimized VM out there. It, it has near native performance, meaning, you run a program in the Wasm container, it's almost as fast as running it directly on, on your physical CPU. So. so maybe just to explain here for, for those who are less technical. So when, when you write a program, let's say like in C++, so you write a programming, like some, some language that has a compiler uh, on, on your environment, you compile that language, it runs directly on uh, on the CPU, like through the through the um, uh, the, the operating system, but the, there's less layers of abstraction between you know your program that you're running and the underlying CPU that's processing uh, that's that's basically executing state changes. Um, with with a virtual machine, whereas where you're running a virtual machine on a blockchain, there is some layers of abstraction there that um, exist between the application and um, and the 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 underlying data structure that is uh, that is being updated all the time, and because Wasm is so optimized, the performance of Wasm uh, will be higher than, say, like an EVM, because the, um, the the virtual machine has nearly the same performance as whatever underlying infrastructure is there. So there's like a lot less uh, compute overhead. Um, for that virtual machine to run its programs, then something that would be less optimized. Is that a good, a good yeah, way yeah, of putting yeah. it? Someone actually told me uh, Cosm Wasm is more performant than the, in the EVM. I, for, I forgot who, who, who that was, but that was a surprising result to me because EVM has a much smaller instruction set. Usually, the, the simpler a VM is, the, the easier it is to optimize it. So I, I always assumed EVM is the most performance VM out there, but then people told me, Wasm was more performant, so that's, that was a pleasant surprise. Mm. Yeah, we also have to consider, yeah, of course, the, the instruction set, right? So, like, 
um, in, in Solidity, we have like a limited instruction set in terms of the language and what it is possible to write with that language. And then with, with Cosmwasm, we actually have like the full instruction set of Rust. Is it, is it the full instruction set or is it just full, a full instruction set of the of Wasm? Of Wasm, right. Okay. Yeah. And almost okay. almost everything in Rust, except for a few things such as uh, such as floating points or or ran randomness, can can be compiled into Wasm instructions. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I think that that sort of paints a picture of like what Cosmwasm is and like how how it interacts with uh with with rust um so you, you've been talking about this cw sdk for some time like sunny told me that i should talk to you about this and i started looking into it and i was like okay this is kind of interesting and like why is he doing this and so yeah what prompted you to build uh or to start building uh because this is still in development and it's like it's not not production ready or anything like that but what prompted you to start building a uh, sort of competing SDK or a complementary SDK to the Cosmos SDK in Cosmosm. Yeah, so for for a bit of context, I, I just came up with the idea during Cosmoverse, the conference. Um, and I, I just started working on it back when I get back home, which is early October, about a month ago. And I, I, I had a I had a small group of people who had the same passion. So we have a little group uh, working on this thing, so it's not just me. Uh, yeah, so so back to your question. Like, first we want to uh, compare to with the, compare it with the Go SDK. Writing your protocol in Wasm is much easier, much faster, and you can iterate, make make new thing, make new upgrades, tremendously easier. But uh, I I would say what prompted me to work on this is when I look at our ecosystem, there are quite quite few chains that doesn't really touch the Go SDK. They, they, they implement their entire protocol in Wasm and just deploy a, a very generic SDK chain with a Wasm module and their entire thing is inside that Wasm container. So an example would be Kujira, Kujira and Stargates. So their protocols are entirely in Wasm. So um, knowing that, then I look at the technical stack of the Go SDK. It is tremendously complex, uh, quite, quite complex. So if you can, uh, let me show my screen. Or uh, is that possible or, or not? Um, I think you're, you're, you're muted. Uh, I think... I know I can share the screen. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that picture. I think I think I think I have it. Um, I once tweeted that picture. So Jacob from Notional tweeted a similar picture, but the idea is the is the same. So, so you see. Are you talking yeah. about Are you talking about this thing? Yes. So this is the this is a structure diagram for the Go SDK with a Wasm module. So. The, the brownish color here is the Rust language, and the blue blue color is the Go language. So, what happens is in a very very inner layer that there's a thing called Wasmer. That is the Wasm runtime. So that is the program that reads the binary instructions from the from the Wasm contract and executes them. That that is in Rust, right? Mm. And, and and outside that layer you have Cosm Wasm VM. 
So that, that is the core, most, most important part of the whole thing. So this, this one defines the standard input, output, and uh, database access for, for contracts. So this is the actual thing where we run contracts. And now the problem comes because you, you cannot directly embed a Rust program inside a Go program. So they have to do a bit, bit of hacking. And the, the way they, they did that is they, they, they write a thing called libcosmwasmvm. So that is in Rust, but that gets compiled to a system file that gets deposited in one of your system folders. And the, on top of that, they have a Go program called wasmvm, which is like an interface layer for interacting with that system file. And out of that, finally, we have the Go module, which is called wasm. Um, here I call it wasmd because the, the GitHub repository is called wasmd, but the module is called wasm, just wasm. So that is the Cosmos SDK module that wraps around wasmvm that, that implements the standard interface required by Go modules. Uh, How many so that, of these layers are actually virtual machines? Is it is there just one virtual machine, or is this Wasm VM also like a Go virtual machine that runs Cosm Wasm's virtual machine? So there are there are just layers of adapters and interfaces. Okay. The real the real virtual machine are the most inner two layers. Okay. Yeah. So so the point here is, the stack is tremendously com complicated. Um, and for. So, well, this is kind of debated. I, I don't think anybody has done very comprehensive benchmarking, but according to Jacob from Notional, uh, that that interface between between libwasmvm and wasmvm is actually a pretty big performance bottleneck, according to him, right? People don't, some people don't agree, but at least we know there are some people saying, um, arguing that there, this, this whole stack might might be a performance bottleneck, yeah. So, uh, okay. Well, so just 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 to kind of recap here, so so basically everything here in WasmD is uh, a Cosmos SDK module uh, that runs Cosm Wasm, and maybe just taking a step back um, to maybe explain the outer layers of this as well. So, in any Cosmos blockchain, we of course have like Tendermint running, which is the consensus module. It interacts with the Cosmos SDK through this application, uh, ADCI application blockchain interface, yeah. which is what talks to the Cosmos SDK or any other application you wanted to build on this. Like my, my previous company, we were building on Tendermint before there was a Cosmos SDK, and we were leveraging ADCI to do that. And we had our own like Go app sitting on top of that. So the Cosmos SDK is just an app that sort of sits on top of Tendermint that interacts with Tendermint through ADCI. And then that Go app has all of these modules that have been developed, like the auth module, the, the bank module that allows you to distribute tokens, the, the, the governance module, the staking module, the slashing module, and there's a ton of other modules. And these are sort of like pre-built blocks that allow one to build an application. Um, you know, yeah, these, these are blocks that do things that a lot of people want to do with, with, with blockchains, right? Like, like staking or doing governance or distributing tokens or uh, allowing accounts to, uh, to manage other accounts like the AuthD module, and and this WasmD uh, block is a module in itself that allows an application to run Cosm Wasm. Right. 
Right. Okay. Um, so th this this whole stack here, like one of the things you were mentioning earlier, which which I thought was interesting, is that whenever you whenever a user executes a transaction and wants to interact with a module, like let's say they want to uh, delegate tokens. Well, there's a module uh, that they would interact with. So in their transaction, like you said, there would be a header that uh, would call that specific module. Um, and then that transaction makes its way through um, through Tendermint. Can you, can you just like describe the transaction flow? Like, let's say I want to do something simple, like delegate tokens. Right. So from the user onto the module, how does that work? So the, the user will compose a transaction. Um, so the, the transaction will contain a, a header. So the, the, the actual terminology is it, it's a type URL. But let's say it's just a title of the transaction. And the title will say this is a delegate tokens transaction. The user is going to broadcast that transaction to Tendermint through that RPC endpoint, which you can see at the very bottom of the bottom bottom left of, of the diagram. Um, so Tendermint are going to maintain that transaction and many other transactions in its mempool, right? So, so let's say this, this Tendermint node is the proposal of the next block. It grabs a few transactions from the mempool and say, hey, this is the new block. And what it does now is it uses a method of the ABCI called deliver transaction to deliver that these transactions one by one to the application layer which is the that big box on top of ABCI. And that altogether we call them, like we call it the application layer. So the application layer receives the transaction via the deliver transaction method. It is going to see, hey, uh, this one has a header of delegate tokens. That belongs to the staking module. So it's going to grab the data of that transaction, give that to the staking module who will execute it right um, and provides a response to to tendermint via abci so okay. that, that's low. that's that's super clear um yeah and, and one thing i i didn't uh one thing i'm not yeah. familiar with is the grpc stuff like what's this other stuff where the user can interact directly with the cosmos sdk i, I didn't know this was possible so so those are optional those are optional um so they are mostly for queries because, uh, so we just talked about how transaction works, but let's, let's also talk a bit about, about how queries works. So query is kind of similar. It also has a header, it has a body. So the, the user also uh, broadcasts the query to the to Tendermint via RPC. Uh, Tendermint are going to have used, use another uh, ABCI method called query to forward that query to, to the application layer the application there will look at the header and forward the body to the appropriate module and return the response to Tendermint via ABCI and Tendermint re returns that via, to the user via RPC. So, so this gRPC REST stuff, they are kind of optional because you can, you can technically do everything via RPC alone. You don't really okay. need any of those, but, but those are probably more performant or familiar to developers. Like REST is a very easy, easy to use inter, uh, API, much easier than RPC for, for most developers. So it, it just provides yeah. an extra option. Okay, interesting. All right, so let's look at the other, uh, the other <laughs> diagram, which is this one. 
um, a lot simpler it seems. Yeah. Just so at first glance, it looks it looks much more much more simple. Yeah, so, so if, what's happening here? Yeah. Yeah. So if you if you just switch back to the previous picture yep. real quick, it just you, you can see the second picture is just wraps out the uh, that word. It just takes out all the brown parts, brown, yeah. brown colored parts, uh, and put that directly on, on top of Tendermint, right? Uh, so basically, all of these, so there's like one, two, three, these three layers here that wrap around the Cosmosm VM uh, are now gone. And we have just this SDK uh, uh, wrapper uh, that interacts directly with Tendermint. Right. And here we have a very, very, very thin, very minimalist layer of software called CWSDK that needs to implement a few things. Uh, among these, it includes the um, database access. So you, the application needs to write data to, to, a, to a persistent database uh, that, that needs to be implemented. In the Cosmos SDK, it is implemented in the Cosmos SDK big, big box. So we have to do include that here. It has to, right, so uh, in here, the database access is in the big Cosmos SDK box, right? So we have to implement that. Uh, we have to implement the ABCI so that our Cosmosm VM can talk with Tendermint. We have to implement logics related to, to gas, to transaction fees, to transaction authorization, right? So when we broadcast a transaction, you need to sign it. We need the mechanism to verify those signatures. Um, and okay. a few other logics, but okay. that would be it. So, so the idea is it is very simple. Uh, the, the CW SDK is intentionally minimalist. Okay. So I, I guess it's it's kind of plain to see the the minimalism of, of this of this architecture and but I guess I'm I'm curious like why though you know so so what 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 kind of blockchain would want to implement uh, Cosmosm SDK and not have a governance module and not have a staking module and not have all these other modules so like you know in practical sense where would those functionalities come from would we be able to also use Cosmosm SDK on the or sorry uh, the Cosmos SDK on the side here uh, maybe like kind of over here we've got the Cosmos SDK that runs those modules or would they be implemented in Cosmosm what's the idea uh, there are many reasons uh, firstly minimalism itself is a big is a good reason uh, you, you have a if you have a very complex or a bloated piece of software, it usually means it's harder to audit. There may potentially be more security vulnerabilities uh, and it's probably less performant. So that, so being minimalist, being simplistic, it's in itself an advantage, right? Uh, and the second thing, we do have these modules, we do have, gov we do have governance, we do have staking, but they are going to all be contracts running inside that Wasm container. Uh, and the thing is, because they are contracts, they're super easy to customize. So any protocol who wants to have their customized governance, they don't like what we implement by default, they want to change, super easy. You just implement their stuff and swap out ours, right? Mm -hmm. um, but isn't isn't the whole 
the value proposition of the Cosmos SDK and Cosmos SDK modules that these th things have been like vetted and tried and tested and audited and like there's just a ton of eyes on this thing so that you, you know, if you're using the staking module or you're using any of the modules in the Cosmos SDK, you have a high level of certainty that um, that there will be no vulnerabilities or bugs or like whenever things are found, like the entire ecosystem jumps on it and, and updates. W wouldn't we lose some of those benefits by implementing everything as like all these kind of reusable pieces as Cosm Wasm contracts? Um. That can be one argument, but I can I can show you something right now. So, so I'm just using a cool count line of code in in, in Cosmos SDK. So in the latest version of Cosmos SDK, let's say the bank module. Uh, the bank module has 19,242 lines of gold code. Okay. So how, how many lines do I have in my bank contract? Uh, let's see. Less than a thousand? bank. Anybody want to make bets? I have, I have 1,824 lines. So okay. less, less than 10% of what the gold code has. Um, so you might say that 20,000 line that, that Go SDK have has been audited for many years, but we only have one tenth of the code. In my opinion, that's easier to audit. Um, so. <laughs> okay, no, I mean, it, it, it's like, yeah, it, yeah, having having less code, of course, like makes it easier to audit, makes it easier also to make like changes and things like that. But, um, yeah, I guess I guess it would be desirable if uh, there were kind of canonical modules, and I, I suppose this is probably the idea is that like there's a canonical bank module, there's a canonical governance module, there's a canonical like all these different modules. Uh, people looking at the source code would be able to see that you know a chain is using you know the the contract that has been like tested and vetted by the community for many years. And if you're like using a different contract, then you probably have other assumptions about like how that contract should be audited or, or like, uh, you know, some additional kind of security measures uh, needed to uh, make sure that like this contract is secure. Is that kind of like the idea? Yeah. So another point, another complaint I have with the goal modules is that they're all kind of based on like 2017, 2018 designs. And after all these years of development in, 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 our, in our ecosystem, we have a lot of new needs, but we cannot very quickly implement changes to the Cosmos SDK, because if you implement those changes, you break all, all the existing chains. And actually, I think that that, that kind of contradict, contradicts with the app chain thesis. A, a big reason we like the app chain thesis is that each chain can independently upgrade regardless of what other protocols do. So on Ethereum, we cannot do this because if you if you change and change an instruction in the EVM, it potentially breaks all the existing contracts out there. So even if I need a specific feature of the EVM, I cannot have it because that breaks everybody else. But this app chain, 
I have full control of my execution environment. I can customize it however I want, regardless of what other apps do. That, that's the benefit of, of, of app chains. But we have this very pretty, pretty old, pretty bloated Go SDK code base. It kind of, kind of have the same problem with Ethereum, right? It just cannot iterate very quickly. And just let's say I want to fork the Cosmos SDK, which some protocols like Osmosis already do. Um, as I mentioned, you, you make one small changes, you need to change in a hundred other places because of that's just how, how the code works. It, it, it's just very painful. And when you change all those 100 other places, you might introduce a bug. And it's, it's really hard to figure out because you have 20,000 lines of code in just one module. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do, do you think that there's like some middle ground where you know, the the main modules that more, most people would use, like things like staking, like bank, um, would be, would continue to leverage the Cosmos SDK's modules. Um, but new functionalities, and this is something Sonny has been talking about, like he's talked about it here before on the podcast as well, is having, um, you know, some form of permission to Cosmosm deployment on chain such that new functionalities can be built and that maybe the innovation space uh should should happen here instead of like creating a an entirely new stack um that uh competes with the cosmos sdk and all of the kind of money and resources that are behind it i think competition is is good <laughs> that, that's my point um you see a short while back we have to do this upgrade called dragonberry because there was a vulnerability in in the ivl tree right um, in my opinion, it would be good if you have two competing stacks and if something breaks, it doesn't affect everybody. It only affects those using one specific stack, right? In that case, we have diversification in terms of software frameworks. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with you that like diversity in, in the software stack is good. Um, yeah, it, it, it seems like, so So what's the, like, what, is, is your goal here to, to, to duplicate many of the functionalities of the Cosmos SDK um, in, uh, in Rust? And like, what kind of resources do you hope to, like, I know that you've just started working on this, but is this a project that you think can, you know, get public goods funding, maybe even funding from, I don't know, like the ICF or, or other funding bodies in the space, like hire a team and really build this out as a competing uh, SDK? That, that's a very good question because uh, what we're building is a public good. It, it is open source software everybody can use for free. Um, so this piece of software that by itself doesn't make any money. So in my knowledge, Confield, the company who created Cosmodon, they have been wanting to do this for a long time. But they couldn't do it because they are a company. They, they need cash flow. They need to pay their their employees. They just cannot do a, a, a project that brings no money, right? So it, it's impossible for them to work on this. It's it's just by people like me who who I already have a a job, right? I, I have plenty of free time and and passion. It's only people like me and 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 some of other my friends in, in the group 
can 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 get this done. So so yeah, that, that, that's what I think. Yeah, but I mean, like, it, you know, like you you've got a full time job, and maybe even some of the other folks as well do. But like, if if Cosm Wasm SDK is to become uh, a, a, a stable and like serious competitor or alter, not competitor, but like alternative to the, to the Cosmos SDK, to the, to the Go SDK. Do you think that at some point it will become necessary for it to um, have like full-time maintainers, uh, maybe different teams uh, contributing to it, like even CoinFio um, participating in some way, like the, the it's it's a, it's a big undertaking. It seems like I mean, if you want to have like something that's feature sort of feature compatible that has the same security guarantees, where um, new projects can you know um, really look at this as a viable alternative that's secure that um, will maintain like upgradability over time, etc. Like it, you, you you'll need more than just like you and a few of your friends, right? Yeah. Well, this is something I hadn't considered yet. Um... But, I know it's early, but I'm just like yeah, thinking long yeah. long term. If this, yeah, because it's it's a cool project. Yeah, like yeah, I mean, because see this build out. We're not only competing with the Cosmos SDK, we're also competing with IBC Go. So that's the Go implementation of IBC. We are also going to have to have our CWIBC, like IBC modules implemented in contracts. So, you know, that's uh, the SDK team and the Go IBC team. They're funded by Interchain Foundation, who has. A lot of money, we don't. So, I guess this is something we this is something we do have to consider at some point. But I don't have a good answer at this point. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about IBC and like IBC compatibility. Um, what's the what's the amount of complexity of implementing IBC as a Cosmosm or a set of Cosmosm contracts, and um, what are the, maybe some of the other unique complexities of maybe some of the modules that, uh, make it difficult to implement as Cosmosm, if any? Yeah, I think IBC would be the most challenging. Um, and it is challenging because, because of the underlying data structure we use is different from the Cosmos SDK. Cosmos SDK uses the so-called IAVL tree. Uh, so we need a tree data structure in order to to generate a root hash of, of the whole blockchain state so that nodes can reach consensus by, by comparing that root hash right um so so iavl in, in in the go in the go team's own word is an orphan project it is only used by by the cosmos sdk itself it's not used by any other blockchain they have been considering moving to uh smt or sparse merkle tree for, for a long time, but they, they couldn't because that breaks everything, that breaks all the existing chains. Uh, so we, we are starting from scratch and we, we are using another data structure called Merck tree, which is created by the Nomic team. So, so it is allegedly more performant than IVL. Um, but back to the IBC, the problem is each tree data structure comes with a different algorithm for for doing Merkle proofs. So when, when you when you do an IBC tra tra transaction, the recipient chain needs to 
need a proof that your transaction and your data was indeed included in the state of the source chain. So that for that, you need the, the Merkle root hash, you need the tree data structure, and you need a proof. And that proof is unique to the type of tree data structure you choose. So if we, we are using IAVL, we can just use their proof. But for not uh, for, for Merk tree, our own tree data structure, we have to come up with our own proof format. Uh, so hopefully Nomic, <laughs> they created the tree data structure. Maybe they can come up with the IBC proof format. But that is one challenge part. One so challenge. I, I wasn't I wasn't aware that there were different types of Merkle tree. Like I guess maybe I kind of was, but yeah, what's the what's the difference between with these like what 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 are the types I don't want to do to describe like the difference maybe between these different uh, implementations, but what are the kinds of things that are different or what are the different considerations that say like uh, this Merck or this SMT or is it just performance or is there something uh, that's that maybe like unique to the types of data uh, that are being processed? So they are just uh, different types of optimizations, but but these optimizations all going all go pretty far in, in their own different directions and they kind of develop into completely different trees in the end. Okay. And so this IAVL tree, because I'm like looking at GitHub right now. So this IAVL tree is um, this the tree structure that uh, the Cosmos SDK has been using since the beginning, but it's something that was developed um, by it's like it was developed by the Cosmos SDK team uh, uniquely for Cosmos, or was it something that was used like prior in another pro in other projects? So if you look up Wikipedia, search AVL tree, which is like the, the the design behind that, it was developed in the 1970s. It's the first ever self-balancing tree in in the in the history of computer science. So it's not a new thing. They added their own flavor, which is what the I part comes from. Um, actually, 1960s, so not a new technology. Um, yeah, 62. Yeah. yeah, and as of as of now, IAVL is the only well, Cosmos the only chain using IAVL. So it's uh, no one else is is maintaining it. It's kind of like a in in their words, orphan project. Okay. Uh, so I I can link you to. And this is where the Dragonberry bug was because. Not a lot of people have been talking about like what um, happened yet. I don't, I, as far as I know, there hasn't been a whole lot of like disclosures about what Dragonberry was, at least to the public. But it was in this repository that there was an issue. I'm not quite sure about Dragonberry, but the Binance hack is here. Okay. Got it. Interesting. Okay. I'm going to have to hold, I'll have to like find someone to do a whole episode about just like Merkle tree structures. Then <laughs> you've just opened up like a whole can of worms here. Um, but yeah, this, this is interesting. This is stuff I, I am not super familiar with. Yeah. About. So yeah. In, in our group, we also had a, a lot of debates on, on what to use. Do we use Merk or do we implement our own SMT or do we use uh, other versions of SMT implementation? Like Penumbra has one we, we consider using them, but they have, they, they, they lack some important features we need. So we, we ended up uh, deciding on Merck, but it's it is it, subject to change in the future. Okay. So 
What what about like so so when implementing IBC, you'd also have to implement interchain accounts. Interchain, uh, sorry, you you also have to implement, um, um, yeah, interchain accounts. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, we need to implement uh, the ICS twenty, the fungible token transfer protocol. Obviously, we we, we probably need interchain accounts. I'm a bit. Uh, I'm not. It's, it's not super high priority, the interchain accounts, because for now, not many protocols are using it. Uh, yeah. As far as I know, Stride is the only one using it. So yeah. not super high demand. Uh, I'm more interested in interchain query. I had a very good idea on how to implement interchain query, which I think is better than what Quicksilver has. Uh, <laughs> so, um, Why do you think it's better? Um, so as far as I know, I could be wrong. I haven't been following it recently, but I think Quicksilver's implementation only allows the so-called raw query. So it can only retrieve a certain value corresponding to a key in, in, the, in, the, chain state of, in, uh, in the chain state. But often what we need is we, we grab the, the, the values, we do some com computing on that value and we, we return the computed result. That is called a smart query. As mm. far as I know, Quicksilver doesn't have smart query. So mm. a good example of smart query is TWAP, the TWAP Oracle. So what TWAP does is it take the uh, time average accumulated price of, of now, and it takes the accumulated price of a past time. It takes the difference and divide by time. And that, that yeah. is your average price over the period. So you, you see, you need two data points and you need to do a computation on that two data points and you return the computed result. So, so the idea of this smart query is that this TWAP computing logic is present in the query chain. It is not present in the querier train, chain. So if you just give the querier train, chain the, 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 the two raw values, the querier chain doesn't know how to do with it. It doesn't know how to do the computation to derive the average price. Only the, the query chain can do that. But with uh, my version of the interchain query, we can have the computing happen on, this, on, the, on the query chain, return the computing result, and generate a proof for that. OK, got it. Uh, and actually, I, I don't think my, that approach is uniquely mine. I think uh, Quasar has implemented that as a goal module already. But for, for the CWS DK, we have to do that as a contract. Hmm. So what are some of the practical applications here? And what chains do you think would, um, if any, like existing chains would benefit from leveraging the Cosmosm SDK? Yeah, so so among them, obviously, is are the so-called WASM chains, which are chains that build their entire protocols in as contracts. So Kujira and uh, Stargaze are two. Juno, I think, is a good candidate. And for Juno, they have a unique uh, unique reason, which is because they have DAO DAO. If they, if they migrate to CWSDK, they can just have DAO DAO as their L1 governance. Yeah. Right? Unlike currently on Juno, you have DAO DAO, but you also have the L1 governance module, which are two separate things, but, but why? Because DAO is better. Why don't you just have DAO as the L1 governance? They can yeah. do that with CWSDK. Um, so 
so let's just thinking about Juno here. So let let's say, let's say let's imagine Cosmosm SDK, you know, like gets gets built out and it's like kind of feature complete and we can do staking and we can do governance and we can do all the things we can do with the Cosmosm with the Go SDK. Um, then those modules sort of sit at the same level as all of the permissionless smart contract that people are developing. So people can also develop other modules or other contracts that might be useful. And, and then you, you kind of get the same composability benefits as you do with Ethereum because contracts are able to call it the contracts. They all kind of sit together on the same, in the same namespace uh, and are able to, to call on each other. It's very different, I think, from the um, I think the kind of architectural paradigm that people think of when when they think about Cosmos compared to Ethereum and the composability that we have there within that ecosystem. Um, yes, yeah. speaking of composability, it is another reason I, I forgot to mention of uh, why as we as Cosmos developers hate to work with the Go SDK. That is for every new module you, you implement in the Go SDK, you have to also program a thing called binding for in order for that module to compose with contracts. Um, yeah, so that's just extra work, right? Yeah. But, but if you use CWSDK, everything is natively contracts and natively comes with composability. Yeah. Yeah, so a chain could uh, build, you know, interesting uh, modules that any everybody can leverage. Maybe even have um, mechanisms for like treasury to pay fees on certain modules. So, like, I'm thinking, you know, a chain could a, a chain could launch and and have uh, a built-in dex, for instance, and like that dex could be um kind of subsidized by the chain's treasury and like everybody can use it and it's sort of like a public good for everyone to use uh just like it could have you know, different modules that are core to a blockchain's functioning like staking and governance and things like that uh, but it, it just opens up the possibilities for what chains can offer in terms of differentiating factors between themselves yeah yeah certainly you can do that with the go sdk as well but it's just much easier to do to do that with uh with, with a framework that is natively de designed for yeah Cosmos. yeah and then what about the compatibility with existing tools and infrastructure so like the compatibility with say things like MintScan or even like kepler wallet that implement you know the the types of transactions that um, are in the Go SDK, so they would all have to implement, of course, um, the kind of native Cosmwasm SDK uh, calls as well. Right. So we probably have to program a composability module just for that, um, because you, if you remember, the the query and transaction has a particular format for the Go SDK we mentioned. It has a header, it has a body, right? Um, so that. That is the format that the Go SDK uses. It's called the protobuf. Protobuf is the software yeah. that uses for encoding. For yeah. for Cosmosm, we native contracts natively use a different encoding format called JSON. Yeah. 
so for for CWSDK, all the queries and transactions are in JSON format. So if you if you send them a protobuf encoded transaction or query, it, it cannot decode it. Yeah. So to in, in order to support existing platforms like Kepler or Minscan, we will have to implement a uh, compatibility module. And essentially what it does is it receives the, a transaction. It will first attempt to decode it using the JSON format. If it, if it decodes successfully, all good, it just do that. Um, if it fails, it will then attempt to decode it using the protobuf format. If that's successful, it will translate that to, into JSON and handle it accordingly. Mm. If it still fails, well, then that's an invalid transaction. So, yeah, so then you don't need to, all of the wallets and other user-facing kind of applications, they don't need to um, to have native compatibility with the Cosmosm modules. You just need to build um, a, a module that translates, say, like a delegation call or like a delegation uh, transaction. Your the module receives that, translates the protobuf um, into JSON, and then like passes it on to the contract. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, ideally, those apps are, will <laughs> implement uh, natively for, 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 for our stack. Yeah. That, that's what I hope. But it's backwards compatible. Uh, but if they don't, then we have this back, backwards compatible thing. OK, very cool. Cool. Well, before we wrap up, there's one other thing that I wanted to, to talk about. And like I've, I've, I've seen you tweeting about this, and I've uh, also, I think, heard you talk about the necessity for like the Cosmos SDK to be rewritten in Rust. Um, can you uh, can you unpack this and you know it, yeah yeah so um, so a big difference developing in Go and Rust is that if you program in Rust and the program compiles the compiler are happy with it then you are you, you have a very high degree of confidence that the program will work but if you write a program in Go it compiles the compiler is happy there's still a very high probability that the program won't work because Go is not a very, uh, like, let's say, secure language. Like, even if the compiler is happy, there might still be, be holes in your, in your application logic that might, let's say, crash at some point. But, but in Rust, that almost never happens. Uh, and that, that, that's actually one of the, my favorite things about Rust because it, remo it, it moves a lot of the errors from runtime to compile time, meaning if you have a problem, if you can complain at compile time, instead of it compiles just fine, but you have to figure out why things crash during runtime. Uh, so yeah, I mean, back to your question, I guess my answer is that Rust is just, just a better language. Like, <laughs> I know there are a lot of Go enjoyers in the Cosmos community might not agree, but in my opinion, Rust is the, is the better language. Do you know if the ICF or informal is because I think they're working on a Rust implementation of IBC and Tendermint? Uh, they they do have repositories called IBC RS or IBC yeah. RS, but they're not full implementations. They're okay. just uh, they're just a toolkit for people to build Rust programs that interface with IBC or Tendermint. 
So they're, they're not full implementations. Okay. And do you know if there's any, like, what's the state of conversation around rewriting the Cosmos SDK in Rust? Are you the only person talking about this? So Naomik created their own uh, application framework in Rust. Uh, Penumbra also, I yeah. think. Uh, yeah, so, so there are already existing Rust-based frameworks for building applications. Um, but they are all like built specifically for their specific chains, right? So uh, CWSK will be a generalized framework. Cool. Well, um, this has been really interesting. I've, I've learned a ton today. Um, and so, yeah, I really, I really like having these kind of deep technical discussions and getting to break things down and understanding all the moving parts and everything. So thanks so much for, uh, for um, yeah, breaking down uh, CWSDK and like how it works and uh, what your plans are for it. Like, yeah, what, what are your plans moving forward? Are you just gonna like keep working on it, keep kind of building on it in your free time or do you, do you have uh, yeah so yeah. i hope maybe by some point mid next year uh we will have a working product uh, i mean working product meaning the sdk is working uh it can be audited it will be sent for auditing right uh by mid next year and following that is actually the most difficult part because we we need to actually have a chain right have, uh yeah what would that chain be will, will it be a general generalized smart contract chain. Yeah. I don't think that would be a very good idea because we already have an like oversupply of generalized smart contract chains. Um, right. We have Juno, we have Neutron, Archway, right? Uh, not to mention the EVM ones. Yeah. Yeah. We also let, let's just let's just say Cosmosm alone. We have Picasso and, and Landslide. Do, do you know those two names? Yeah. Um, Picasso is the uh, composable yeah. finance one. Uh, Picasso is uh, a polka dot parachain yeah. that implements Cosmosm IBC. Landslide is an avalanche, uh, what's their word, subnet with Cosmosm and IBC. So, hey, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they're, they're like really exciting. So like Cosmosm is actually bigger than Cosmos. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a generalized smart contract framework for, for, for many different like a lot of chain chain tech stacks, um, yeah. So like generalized smart contract chains are no go. So we need to build an app app chain with a killer app to make it big. But what what would that app be? I have some very early stage ideas. Not sure if they are good. I think they are good, but they might not be. In more experienced eyes, so we will discuss that in the coming months. Well, we'll. I'll, I'll certainly keep looking out for it, um, and uh, yeah, maybe when when that comes out, um, we can come. You can come back on here and tell us about the progress. Yeah. So one final question: uh, Who's one person you think I should have on this podcast? Um. Well, so you you already have Davide from Mars team. Mars. Uh, yeah, he's coming on in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, he's a big brain. So. <laughs> he, he'll talk, talk to you about the, talk with you about the Mars credit account. Right? Yeah. Uh, that, that has to be good. Um, yeah. Shouldn't All right. Be about my controversial take. 
<laughs> oh, that's right. We didn't talk about that. Okay, so uh, yeah, yeah. Let's let's uh, let's end on this. Yeah. Why do you think app chains don't need to be decentralized? Yeah. So like Seb asked me, what what is my controversial take? Like prior to we start streaming this, and that that's what I that's what I like had in my brain at the time. Uh, so my opinion is app chain don't necessarily needs to be decentralized. Like have a very for example, have a very decentralized token distribution that everybody have the same stake. All validators have the same voting power. I don't think that's the strict necessity. It's a good to have, but it's not. So, and why is that? So let, let's think about why, like, we don't like a very centralized political structure in a, like the traditional, uh, let's say in a, in a nation state. We don't want a nation state to, to have its power centralized in one person's hand. Um, that actually leads to to very poor like, degrees of level of freedom for the people or uh, level of uh, uh, quality of life, right? Why, why is that? Because in, in traditional nation states, people don't usually have a choice for, for living. Like you, you cannot decide where you are born. Uh, those authoritarian states usually implement uh, restrictions on travel to not enable you to leave. Uh, and if you cannot leave, you you're stuck with their political economic structure. You, you don't have a choice to opt out. But that is not the case for blockchains, right? If you have a centralized blockchain, the users will notice that and they have total freedom to not engage with the chain. If they already have assets on their chain, they have total freedom, well, in most cases, to, to withdraw and move on to somewhere else they prefer. So I think uh, app chains don't necessarily need to be decentralized as long as first it, it's free to entry and exit. Anybody can spin the, spin up their own uh, app chain, right? That enters the market to compete with incumbents and that people have the freedom to choose which chain to use to engage. So let's say there are many centralized chains in the ecosystem. If users actually have a preference for decentralized ones, then free market comp competition will naturally drive all, all the chains to be decentralized to attract users. So that's why I think uh, centralization of power is almost always bad in, in nation states, but not necessarily for app chains. Yeah, no, I think I, I agree with you on some parts there. Um, I think the, one of the risks that I see is, um, you know, capture of users assets and censorship and things of that nature that can, that, that centralized chains, um, like where centralized chains could perform an attack on their users that, uh, would make it difficult or, or impossible for users to, to leave, to opt out. Uh, at least without having suffered financial uh, loss. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, but, but then I also agree on the fact that, you know, um, that the free market will uh, likely, you know, create um, conditions where users like are, are comfortable with like the degree of centralization in, in, in app chains or decentralization or whatever, like, you know, there will be some sort of like, uh, uh, equilibrium uh, across the ecosystem where, you know, if you want to use a more centralized service, you can, or if you want to use something else, um, you're also welcome to do that. But yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like there's a there's a whole other hour that we could like discuss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but in one sentence, I would say following my logic, if you really want to push for decentralization, instead of pushing each chains like putting pressure on dev teams or validators like that, we should really like focus on education. Um, like, if if we educate users to actually favor decentralized options over more centralized options, then competition will naturally drive all the chains to 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 be more decentralized right yeah I think that's the yeah. that's the thing yeah i yeah i th i think i think you're right um that education is needed and education and awareness is what would drive um users to want more decentralized chains um if the um, if the concern for privacy in web 2 has taught me anything is that users typically don't care about these things. Uh, you know, uh, most of the people I know are still using like Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp and whatever and have not like, uh, you know, moved in droves to use Signal or, or other alternatives, even though they're better and they uh, preserve their their freedoms and um, protect their privacy. So is it different with blockchains? I don't know. You know, if you've got like a really popular app that everybody is using, but that thing is super centralized, chances are people are going to want to use that thing uh, until something goes wrong. And um, but yeah, I yeah, there's a there's a case to be made also. I think for like why education is important. Like we need we always need to like keep educating, right? Whether it's about privacy or or the the value of having actually like decentralized governance and um, and uh, and block execution on chains is like super important. And uh, this is also one of the big reasons why I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, Larry, thanks so much. Thanks again for coming on. And um, yeah, look forward to continuing this conversation on Twitter and maybe again here on the podcast at some point in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me. And to our listeners, thanks uh, so much for tuning in. We do live streams every Thursday. Uh, if you'd like to be notified when uh, I have new guests on, please consider subscribing to the channel and uh, also like this video and hit the notification bell and you'll get notifications every week. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm Seb 3.0, like right down here, right here. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week.